Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends, to Navigate with IDNANG. It's such an honor and privilege to be here today to share with you and also to learn from you, as I always say. I'm grateful to God for the gift of life and also grateful to God for your life, too. Here comes a time in the annals of the life of every human being that you must always live a thankful and a grateful season and a grateful heart. This is one of those times. And it's one thing that we must not fail to do. Friends, I want to thank you for listening in to this uh, beautiful program and by extension, the Business School on Radio. As you know, we've been talking about value creation for what I'll term almost ages. But I also know that on this program, part of the objective is to get into concepts around business and to get us fine tuned and in tune also with areas of concentration that people do talk about, but not necessarily get some form of mastery or enlightenment. And so I'm going to start and open a new journey. And that journey has to do with sales. You know, sales is something that we all talk about. Everyone is a salesman. Everyone is talking about sales. Like Jeffrey Gutoma said, people don't like to be sold, but they love to buy. And so I believe that as we take some words and some concepts within the world of sales, you would be able to have some bite sizes and understanding that will aid you in making your business a lot more, not just profitable, but also accessible. And you will understand the nitty gritty of some parts of this beautiful profession called sales. Before I go further into this, I'd like to really crave your indulgence that you enable part of this feedback process to work for us, that you can send me feedback through my email, contact at navigatewithid.com, or you can follow me on the social media platforms across board. The handle is at I-D-Y-E-N-A-N-G. We can't make a lot happen without feedback. So I'm saying to you, this is a request And I hope you would oblige me like a few of you have done most times. It helps when you create that nuance of teamwork and systems. And I'm proud, you know, to be able to um, work with you on this whole process. Now, added to that as a footnote is the fact that you could see this as your little opportunity to have a business school on radio. and going for an MBA or taking on an MBA or taking on a top business school can be an enormous investment in time and also cash. And for those that may not be able to, at this point in time, put that together, I enjoin you to invite friends to also join you in this whole process. And what it does, I promise that by the grace of God, we're able to give you a simple mental model on various subjects that are key to your success, and more importantly, commercial success. And so you'll be seen as we step into the new terrain of products, of marketing, sales, and business. We've treated finance in the beginning of the year. Now we are getting into the sales discipline, which hopefully will transit into marketing and then take on a new stride with leadership and all the other uh, dimensions of business. So I welcome you to this new vista as we look at the subject of sales. I'll be picking up a few of um, uh, literature of Josh Kaufman. That has been my um, friend and support partner in this. So I must also give credit to that and also add and list with a lot of experiential dimensions that I've also learned in the course of my work and journey. And so today, as we look at the subject of sales, I hope that every man, woman out there who is a professional salesman or salesperson 
would find this of value as we begin to look into the concepts that sit under the ambits of sales. Now, here's one thing that you must understand. Every successful business ultimately sells what it has to offer. You can't be successful without selling what you have to offer. So it's one thing to have prospects, but having millions of prospects isn't enough if no one ultimately pulls out their wallet and says, I want this one. I want this. Whether it's a product or a service, there has to be an informative process. I mean, the days I started my career as a young marketing um, professional, I recall the days when we had our training at uh, USC Training School uh, down at Alexander Avenue in Ikoi. And the first course I attended was a professional selling skills course. It was interesting. Now I'm talking about 1991, thereabouts. That's donkey years ago. But what was more intriguing was that in the room, we had a cross section of professionals, and most of us came from. Uh, multinationals. In fact, all of us, um, maybe then we just had only one individual from uh, what you'd call a private concern that is not your usual multinational setup. But the rest of us, we have other Nigerian breweries, Guinness, UAC, AJC Ward, Unilever, then was Lever Brothers and the likes. You know, everyone was there sending reps in to come and learn. And in that particular course, I remember my first very important message that I took away from that professional selling skills course was that the sales process begins with a prospect and ends with a paying customer. And the word is always be closing. So the ABC of sales sits when someone pays. As long as someone does not pay, the sales process has not ended. If it is not happening, it is still in process. So many times, ringing in my ears, I go years back to myself in whatever I do and remind myself that the sales process begins with a prospect and ends with a paying customer. No sale, no business. If you have this at the back of your mind, and you are a small, medium-scale entrepreneur, or you are an employee working for a business that is into manufacturing of products or even services, and then you are producing any of these things for an ultimate user out there, as long as you do not have someone paying for it, then you have not started the sales process or ended, I beg your pardon, the sales process. If you look around the world, the best businesses and the trust of their prospects and actually help them understand why the offer is worth paying for. And so that's why you have the acronym AIDA, A-I-D-A. There's attention, there's interest, there's desire, and there's action. These are elementary concepts that we have put through in the sales process or when we talk about marketing or we talk about sales and demand fulfillment. So there is no prospect who wants to make a bad decision or to be taken advantage of, albeit these days you find people trying to outsell and in the process they don't deliver what they promise but I tell you, you can get away with it once, but you would have everybody someday walk away from your product or service. So please note that no one wants to make a bad decision. No prospect wants to be taken advantage of. So sales mostly consists of helping that prospect understand what's important and convincing them that you are capable of actually delivering on what you promise. So if you do not put all of that together, then you have actually failed in kicking off the process well. And at the end of the day, that particular process gets even more exciting 
when you get a new customer and more cash in your bank, more cash in your till. And that's going to give me a good segue to talk about a subject or a concept that we utilize almost every time that is embedded in our conversations when we talk sales. And that concept is the concept of transaction. What is a transaction? Very simple. A transaction is an exchange of value between two or more parties. If I have something you want and you have something I want, would both be better if we agree to trade. And that's why you find in the concourse of trading, there has to be two parties, a willing party and one that is also a willing party to receive. So on one hand, one person gives and the other receives. Now, a transaction is always a defining moment of every business, any and every business. Take a simplified version, just all that you do with your bank. On every point in time, when you hear a banker talk, they talk transactions. Why? Because of the exchange between two parties, or it could be more. Sales will sit at the only point in the business cycle where resources flow into the business, which makes completing transactions critically important. I remember some years back when I had the privilege of serving at Cabri Nigeria then as commercial director. I had the privilege of leading the marketing, sales, and operations teams. And it was very instructive and interesting because here I was coming into the foray when the company was at its lowest. If you are aware of the times then back in the day, I'm talking about 2006, thereabout. I joined the company 2007 as commercial director, September specifically, when the company was going through some very, very turbulent times. And sitting in there as a newbie, as you would call me, it was important that we had to look at the structure of our transaction. So, and sitting in that whole space was the fact that the commercial team made up of my colleagues in sales, marketing, and operations needed to undo a lot of things that have been done and to open the vista for the survival of the business. Yes, I'm not saying that um, we did not appreciate our guys in production or manufacturing or quality. They were as firm and stood firm in the whole process. But by and large, friends, the sales guys are the guys that bring in money that the company spends. Whether you like it or not, they are front-facing. Whether you like it or not, they are the ones to complete the transactions. Whether you like it or not, they are critically important. Any business that does not treat the sales officials or executive well is not ready to oil the wheel of transactions. So ultimately, we were able to work as a team and in tandem with other functions to bring about the rebirth of Cadbury at that time, three years after the company was about, was going into the doldrums. By the grace of God, it happened. So businesses survive by bringing in more money than they spend. And there's no way to do that without completing transactions. So if you are setting up a business and you do not mimic the type of transactions that you have and the opening and closing part of it, then you are setting yourself up for failure. In between, you will have to provide the infrastructure that would all the structure of the transactions. Very many times, organizations tend to put a lot of pressure on, we are not seeing the money coming, but they are not willing to spend or to make the lives of the sales executives comfortable. In some organizations, they think 
It's a matter of pride. After all, we are giving you a car. Go and sell. No, that's a wrong attitude. It is just a tool. The same way the finance guy sits in the office and has a laptop, that's the same way a salesperson has a car that is his own tool to navigate all terrains and to close and complete transactions. These days, you would have bankers sit in their offices thanks to technology. You have finance people sit in their offices thanks to technology to complete transactions. But I tell you, you will not be able to complete transactions without a salesperson if you are manufacturing or producing goods and services. You can do all manner of e-selling, but I'll tell you, at the end of the day, that transaction needs to be complete and that individual that would lock it in will be the final arbiter or the front-facing person who, in other words, will be your salesperson. Let me put a quote by Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. He says, there is only one boss, the customer, and he can fire everybody in the company from the chairman on down simply by spending his money somewhere else. So if you don't have somebody to follow the boss who is a customer and to track him down, to enable him to spend his or her money in your company and you keep allowing him to take the money elsewhere, one day, from the chairman to the least person in your company, you will all be fired. Reason? You can only transact with things that are economically valuable. If you don't have anything your prospective customers want, they won't buy from you. And so it's important that we understand that as much as sales is so critical, your products must be economically valuable. People will not buy what they do not touch, what they do not see. People will not align with what they've not engaged with. This may seem obvious, but it's amazing how many prospective business people enter the market without something the market wants. Some of them just sniff whatever from, oh, I think this would do well. How do you know? That's why developing and testing what I call a minimum viable offer is so important. What is this all about? A minimum viable offer is the best way to determine whether or not you have created something valuable enough to sell before you invest your life savings. Even if you want to copy some other person, you may have to go through a process of starting small to ensure that you grow into the big world of what it takes. We're talking about transaction, and I want you to understand that when you're starting a new business, the object is to get to the point where you make your first profitable transaction as quickly as you possibly can. Because that's the point where you transit from being a project to being a business. You see, very many people in business today, especially the small and medium-sized ones, do not understand that when they kick off a project or what they call business, when they kick off their business, as they will call it, oh, what are you doing? I'm into business. Well, I curate, I sell, I manufacture, I X, Y, Z. At that point in time that you've started, you have not necessarily made profitable transactions. You see, a lot of young people do not understand the art and science of business that you start selling the first day, the first month, does not mean that you have started profitable transactions because you invested X amount from the past to the present. You need to recoup all of that. And it is at that first profitable transaction where, for example, you need to, for example, if you are producing shirts, the road up to making these shirts happen will require you investing in machines, will require you in getting regulatory approvals, legal stuff, financial 
enough, all of that will amount to a certain value of money. So value X. The day you kick off and launch your shirt line does not mean that the first 10 people or 100 that buy your shirt have automatically given you a profitable spin. No. You may have started inching in, but friends, you need to move from being a project to being a business. So whilst you are in that process, you are still running a project. You've not started running a business. The point at which you begin to run a business is when you make your first profitable transaction because you would have transited. Many people are running projects and they think they're in business. They are deceiving themselves and that's why they crash and not just crash, they crash land because they get excited. So don't get excited. As we move into other concepts in the course of this uh, beautiful um, school of ours, I want you to understand that it's all about getting us back to this first profitable transaction. And so I'd like to shift into a different concept within the ambits of sales. And that concept is trust. Trust. You know, it's very simple when you have a proposal and then you ask somebody to send you a check uh, for a certain amount of money. And at the end of the day, you'll say to this person, in another 10 years, I'll give you a brand new car or I'll give you a house. The truth is, you can't see any example of those cars or the house. You wouldn't hear from that person until absolutely the time when there's some form of maturity of that deal. So someone comes to you and says, hey, I have an investment opportunity for you. Here's the proposal. Send me a, a certified bank check for, I say, one million naira right now. And in 10 years, I'll give you the keys to a brand new car or a 600 square meter house in Banana Island. So you cannot see any example of those houses, but you would definitely be hoping that it will happen. Now, unless you are an extremely trusting soul with cash to burn, probably not. After all, how can you be sure that that person actually will build you that particular house or give you that particular car for such a paltry sum? How can you be sure that the person won't just take the money and disappear? You can't, which is why you shouldn't cut anyone a check for a car or a house in banana that you've never seen. This is the age and the time we live with people that are very good at being stars. And that's why we call them fraud stars. So if I have to reverse the situation and say to you, let's assume I'm capable of building this house and you are interested in purchasing one, would it be smart for me to buy the land, break the ground, and start building before I'm sure you actually have the money to pay for it, like it happens in a setting? Probably not. If the deal falls through, I'll have to find another customer or swallow the cost. So without a certain amount of trust between parties, a transaction will never take place. No matter what promises are made, or how good they look, or how great the deal sounds. No customer, no prospect is going to be willing to part with their hard-earned money unless they believe you're capable of delivering what you promise. Whether it's a beverage, whether it's a drink, whether it's food, whether it's a car, whether it's an electronic equipment, whether it's a house. Likewise, it is usually not smart to accept IOUs from customers you don't know. IOUs are also called credit in business language. So what is very critical for you 
is to build a trustworthy reputation over time by dealing fairly and honestly. And that way you will build trust. There are so many business owners today who have a very poor and bad reputation when it comes to trust. You walk into a store and probably buy a dress for your daughter or son. And by the time you get home, your son or daughter tells you, oh, daddy, thank you, but it didn't fit. You go back to the store to return it. And then the owner of the store tells you, sorry, you did not read the sign. We have a sign out there that says it's a no return policy. But at the point at which she was selling or transferring the item to you, she didn't or he didn't tell you that, by the way, Mr. X, are you aware we have a no return policy? Or even on our receipt, that's why we have it there. Now, if you did know, you would actually take steps to decide whether you want to use that service or buy from that place. So trust is something that can be earned over time. And if you were to find a business that allows you build that reputation over time, it takes being fairly honest and building it in a way and manner that allows your prospects come back. Friends, when we get back, I'll shift gears into a space called a common ground. And we will look at what the common ground is and how overlapping interests between parties make trust happen. Don't go away. It's still the Business School on Radio. We'll be right back. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, dear friends and distinguished listeners. And just in case you're joining us, it's uh, Navigate with ID. This is your business school on radio. Welcome to a refreshing time as we are looking at a very interesting discipline called sales. And um, in the first half of the program, we looked at very key concepts and words like transaction. We said a transaction is an exchange of value between two or more parties. We talked about the fact that we can only transact with things that are economically valuable. And to that extent, we moved on to talk about trust and the fact that without a certain amount of trust between parties, our transaction will not take place, no matter what promises are made or how good the deal sounds. No customer is going to be willing to part with their hard-earned money unless they believe that you're capable of delivering what you promise. And that took us straight into building a trustworthy reputation over time by being fair and honest in order to build trust. Let me, you know, just put a context here before we go into the other concept of common ground. In this day and age where we have transactions happen electronically, either by way of uh, transfer, electronic transfer, or by POS, You've had situations where you have an individual walk into a store and he or she, using a POS machine, gets debited twice. Now, the owner of the store now looks back and says, well, rather than refund the other part, we'll then say, you know, we have this no cash refund policy. So please look around and pick any other thing that would align with whatever payments you made. But hey, madam, I paid for what I bought and what I wanted. It's not my fault that the transaction happened twice because it purportedly showed me it had declined and I tried using my card again. And here we find that I've been debited twice. So it's either they ask you to go back to your bank, which is credible, or there and then, if you're one of those that would necessarily have sorted that part out, when you get back to the store, expecting to get your cash, you'll be told, look around and pick anything that will be worth the same. Because once money comes in, it doesn't go out. How does that build trust? Do you think that individual will ever come back to your store? That's about reputation. A trustworthy reputation comes over time when you deal fairly and honestly. And so riding on the back of that, I want to talk about common ground. 
you know, common ground is a very interesting piece because uh, right now, and I just imagine Nigeria's political stratosphere, where we are seeing all manner of things happen right before our eyes. But one thing I can tell you, friends, this is just a slight digress. Don't be afraid. God is in it all. This country has gotten to the point that Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about. It's called The Tipping Point. Nigeria is at the tipping point. So let all the players come out. And at the end, you will find a common ground that would be a God ground happen. So what is a common ground? A common ground is a state of overlapping interest between two or more parties. Think of the available options as a circle that surrounds you. You have prospects, and every prospect has a circle of available options as well. So your job as a sales executive or business owner is to find exactly where those circles overlap, which is much easier if you understand what your probable purchasers want or need. And this is what our politicians don't get, that the electorate who are as guilty as the politicians themselves, that they need to find where those circles overlap. When you find individuals, strange bedfellows coming together, you need to ask yourself, why are these circles overlapping? Everybody wants to be president, but nobody is sitting down to say or suggest that all of these aspirants, even though they're going to seek for a ticket from their party, should have their party organize a proper debate where Nigerians will look at them and say, wow, we think A and B will intersect well if they team up as president and vice. Why do we have presidential debates after the ticket has been given to some character which we have no control over? Not as if we have any control over the process, but if the parties are truly working in the interest of the people, as in business, where the owner of the business is supplying and building products or services for probable purchasers and needs to understand what they need or want, our political gladiators should actually sit in a space where they all line up. All of them, whether PDP or APC, will set the party in such a way that they can have debates. Let them all line up and everyone will come present to Nigerians why they want to be president before they even set in to have their so-called primaries. Won't it be very refreshing change that will happen? And so we can actually tell those that are truly capable and have competent capacity to deal with the issues, or more importantly, to unite and reorientate Nigerians. Just like business, I want you to consider the job you are currently in or the last one you held. Chances are, my friend, you accepted that job because you were willing to take on certain responsibilities and your employer was interested in having you do the work. That's the principle I'm throwing out there, that anyone that is going in and aspiring to be president or senator or governor or whatever, the last time I checked, the employer is a citizen. But do they see citizens as employers? No. They see them as a means to an end that they can trample on and use stomach infrastructure to bulldoze the poverty-streaking employers that they've created by their own will, whims and caprices. So if you take that concept I've given to you right now, and we're talking about common ground, remember, don't lose sight of where I'm going because we're talking about common ground, coming on the heels of trust and the trust that is built as a result of transactions, you will then see that you were interested in being paid a certain amount and your employer was willing to pay you at least that amount. Your interests overlap, which means it resulted in a job offer and a paid position at a company. That in itself is a common ground. The same thing happens every time you purchase something from a retailer. 
they have a product you want to own, you have a certain amount of money they are willing to accept for the product. If you don't want the product or the retailer wants more than you are willing to pay, no transaction will take place. I pray and wish that Nigerians will see 2023 as a place for this common ground to happen, a place where our interests have to overlap and there will be an offer and there will be a paid position at that company where we will then sit back and get or purchase what we want from this particular person who is presenting the goods or service. Common ground is a precondition of any type of transaction, whether electoral, whether ephemeral, whether an e-electronic transaction, common ground is a precondition. Without any areas of overlapping interests, there is no reason for a prospect to choose to work with you. So it's important that we all put this at the back of our minds as we are running businesses. After all, it wouldn't make sense to pay more for something that's, than it's worth to you, does it? No. But when you get to pay more for something that is uh, a lot less worth to you, how do you feel? You feel cheated. You feel shortchanged. It's about the same way when you cast your vote for an individual and this person gets in there and nothing happens. You feel very disappointed. But the question is, why do you repeat the same mistake over and over as we are about to, if care is not taken again? Big people are getting so sentimental. You can see that this individual putting himself up does not have the capacity, does not have the competency to sit in an exalted office of president or governor, where you say because it's from my part of the country or because it's from my tribe. Do you walk into a store and pick up any shaving lotion? Do you pick up any kind of milk to drink? Do you pick up any piece of item that you're going to eat to nourish yourself simply because they write or they have something on it that says, this thing was grown out of the north. This one was grown out of the south. Or you want a piece or a fruit. The label on the fruit is made in the north, made in the south. Is that what will make you buy it and eat it? No. And more so that you then pay for something and then at the end of the day, it doesn't really deliver the promise. So why is it that we as business people expect our prospects to accept our offer if it's not in their best interest. Why would Nigerians allow politicians to throw themselves and give them the worst set of options that they want for their own interest without a common ground? I'm showing you how a common ground sits as a principle that can be applied in everything we do. So aligning interest is critical to finding common ground. Sales isn't about convincing somebody to do something that is not in their best interest. But ideally, you should want exactly what your prospects want. The satisfaction of their desire or the resolution of their problem is what is paramount. And so as a provider of this service or item, you are looking at the prospects or your customers to say, I want them to be satisfied. The more your interests are aligned with your prospects, the more they will trust your ability to give them what they want. I mean, look at some brands. The other day, I was having a, a, a conversation with a good friend of mine who works with one of the telcos. I said, oh boy, there's nothing you will tell me. MTN has the best network. I see I said, listen, I don't go outside and get another line. Over the years, I started using my MTN line right from the time, I think 2001 it was, yeah, something like that. And I said, if you look at my number, it's one of the first generation numbers. I said, back in the day in 2003, four, when I was at the Coca-Cola company and we were traveling like, you know, something else. 
will step into any country. And the minute I switch on my mobile phone, I get network. I'm able to make a call. My phone was roaming and I never had to pick up any other line like some other people would do. They get to a location, they pick up another line and they start using that line to make local calls. But yes, it was at a price. At that point, the cost of roaming was expensive. But you know what? There was a provider that understood what they needed to do. And that became the foreground for trust to be built. Our interests were aligned. So my interest as a user and MTN as a provider were aligned. The more we continued on that alliance, the more I continued to trust their ability to give me what I want. And that's why my line is still sitting. No matter what anybody said or would do, I wouldn't port because I know when I step out, I still enjoy the benefits of it. Now, like every other relationship, there are times you feel, oh, no, I should get more. This should happen. Yeah, those are the things that come through when in business you provide avenues for feedback. And also being able to get your audience to ultimately enjoy the part. Now, there are always many parts to a successful transaction. And that's the essence of a negotiation. If you hear me talk about negotiation, I'll tell you that in everything you do in life, you negotiate. Husband negotiates with the wife. The son or daughter negotiates with the parents. Parents negotiate with their children, even if they will proudly say no, that after all, you are my son or daughter. The process of you trying to win your daughter or son over to behave properly is negotiation. Why? Because negotiation is a process of exploring different options to find the common ground. This boy, this girl, you will not disgrace me out there. And so, even as a parent, you may not accept it, but I tell you that in order to have a successful outing, there is some negotiation that takes place. So everything we do in life, there is some iota of negotiation. The more potential parts you explore, the greater the chance you'll be able to find one in which your interests will overlap. The more open you are to potential options, the higher the likelihood you'll find an area of common ground that is acceptable for all parties involved. That is why even as we look through our current electoral process and the ups and downs in our, in our polity, where everyone is on the street declaring one form or the other, either to go into the House of Assembly as a legislator or to get into the executive as governor or president or to sit in the ambits of a support group so that when this person comes in, we start mounting pressure by saying, we brought you in. It was our support that brought you in. You owe us. And they begin to make mistakes. And afterwards, they'll be the first set of people to turn their backs. Isn't that a very sorry state? It is. It is a sorry state because the art and science of trust has been broken. friends. As you know, we've been talking about sales. It's very interesting, a very interesting topic, but I would like to step into a terrain that will be very exciting, but I hope you'll be able to draw one or two inferences because we are getting to the home stretch. And it's about what I call the pricing uncertainty principle. What do I mean? Um, Harry Brown, the author of Fail Safe Investing, did quote that everything you want in life has a price connected to it. There is a price to pay if you want to make things better, a price to pay just for leaving things as they are. There is a price for everything. So that particular quote, I hope, summarizes everything we talked about, my dear brothers and sisters, about common ground. To you, the businessman, to you, the businesswoman, 
to you, the electorate and the citizen of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, and to you, there would be interested party to join in the political landscape. But let us come back to the home of sales. One of the most fascinating parts of sales is what I truly call the pricing uncertainty principle, where all prices are arbitrary and malleable. Pricing is always an executive decision. If you want to try to sell a small piece of an item for, say, 10 million naira, you can. That item has to be something close to being a rock, a diamond. It has to be a pill. If you want to quadruple that price or reduce it by, say, 10 10,000 an hour later, there's absolutely nothing stopping you. Any price can be set to any level at any time without limitations. The pricing uncertainty principle has an important corollary. Please listen to me very well. As a small, medium, and even large business owner, you must be able to support your asking price before a customer will actually accept it. In general, people prefer to pay as little as possible to acquire the things they want. You know, that happens. It's human. If you expect people to pay you perfectly good money to buy what you're offering, you must be able to provide a reason why the offered price is worth paying. That in marketing parlance is what we call equity. You must have the equity that when you put this product on the table, you say, I am wearing X, Y, Z. They look at some labels. It's pasted all over them. Oh, that guy is wearing so-so and so, a designer. That designer does have a price. It's difficult to support a price of 10 million naira just for a piece of of an item, which you call, whether it's gold, whether it's diamond, whatever. Or it could be what people, the Americans term it as a rock. Unless that rock is a 45 carat deep blue diamond, sort of, that would cost over $100 million or something. Then you say, whoa, this is truly a rock. Now, when you see such things happen, then it means that you have to go through the auctioning process in the mind. You know, outside of this country, abroad, we hear of auctions happening. We do have auctions here, but it's not so popular. But in the U.S., you would always find in several museums of natural history, they are always putting up some very big items for auctioning sometimes. but. When you get in there, you can actually have some item being put up for as much as a hundred, um, what am I saying, about a billion dollars. What will stop them? Sometimes you hear someone's um, shirt or the famous jersey by Maradona was auctioned for X million dollars. You wonder for a shirt. Yeah, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. It's called the pricing uncertainty principle. But I want you to understand that as a business person, auctions are an example of the pricing uncertainty principle at work. People can go through the auctioning process in their minds. But you, as the owner of the business or the item, must understand how to walk through that process. Because prices change constantly, rising in proportion to how many people are interested. That's why you find that in a place like Lagos, when you are looking for an apartment and you go to GRA or you go to Banana Island or you go to VI, the prices are hitting the roof. It's not because the properties are even more of value than they were 10 years ago. No, it's because the demand has risen. There are few houses being chased by so many people. There are a lot of expatriates that are coming into Lagos. And all of them want to stay in Banana, Ikoi, Oviai. Of course, because the apartments are not so many, 
what would happen? The price would shoot up. But if we had a very good infrastructure, for example, we had infrastructural development, speed trains, where you can have an expatriate live in Calabar, for example, and between Obudu and Lagos, a speed train can get you in one hour. Do you think anybody would not love to live in the hills from whence his help will come? People will stay in Abelkuta, they will stay in different parts of this country and will arrive at their workplaces simply because the infrastructure is clean. So the pricing uncertainty principle in itself, it works in proportion to how many people are interested. That's why you find the undulating prices. You go to a place like Akonjo, you just say two-bedroom flat is going for 700000 You say, how? Why? It is a pricing uncertainty principle. Why? Because it is rising in proportion to how many people are interested and how much they are willing to spend. So it tells you from the greedy estate agent to the greedy landlord, they will put up a price because they see that there's a sea of heads and people that are coming that way who need two-bedroom apartments. And so what do they do? They hike it and they tell you it is scarce. So by setting a low starting price and allowing potential buyers to bid against one another, auctions are typically an efficient way to establish a true market price for something that is difficult to reproduce and where no comparable items are already in the market. So if imagine if we actually go through auctioning in Nigeria, especially in Lagos, you realize that a lot of items you would find that are so rare will come out either better, cheaper, or more value because everyone will be at the point of asking the question, why should I have this? And that in itself is a pricing uncertainty principle. Well, friends, at this point, we need to call it, um, call it a day as always. I hope this wasn't too technical a piece for you, but it's a business school and let's take it further. Send an email to me at contactnavigatewithid.com and we'll make the best of the interaction. Or you can follow me on my social media platforms and the handle is at I-D-Y-E-N-A-N-G. More than grateful to share with you and to learn from you. Thank you so much for listening. Thursday is another day and we'll be back as we'll be looking at the different pricing methods. Remember, we've started a journey in sales and so it shall be by God's grace. Goodbye. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.